for uh, respecting those people who are uh, have shown up on time. Folks, this uh, call is going to be a half an hour long, and this is something that we do on a regular basis. And uh, Martin Lind, who is the uh, uh, Education Vertical Manager for Leeds 360, is uh, with us uh, today. Martin also runs a number of these conference calls himself. We're doing this together. The reason uh, that we really uh, love working with Martin's company is because, as you know, we work in the area of best practice and post-secondary education and enrollment management, and and it's absolutely crucial to go and have a um, a software system that will capture information and and report in a nimble and uh, intelligent way. And we've reviewed so many of these um, software systems over the years. And when we had a, a look at the Leeds 360 process, we got really enthused about it because it's really intuitive. So, Martin, we've always enjoyed giving calls with. So uh, that's a little summary of uh, Martin Lynn for those of you that don't know him and his company, Leeds 360. Why don't you give a little bit about yours, uh, a little background about you guys? Um, okay. For those who don't know. Um, enrollment resources, we're... Um, we specialize in helping people optimize returns um, in enrollment management. And um, we focus on helping people identify low-cost, high-return ways to improve the fortunes of their schools. And we'll work with um, career schools, private, uh, private post-secondary schools, um, private not-for-profit schools, and on occasion, public schools. So, uh, really, I guess the, it's about differences, Martin, today, is that the talk is how differences um, can really, are interesting. Uh, and what comes to mind is, you know, what's really hot in the news the last couple of days is there's a, a, a big um, a web, uh, internet um, survey or petition moving around the internet about um, Burton Ernie of Sesame Street fame and... Um, the desire to have Bert and Ernie come out of the closet and get married, and you know, really the the nature, you know, those those Sesame Street relationships generally don't work that well. I mean, I remember Miss Piggy; she she really was abusive to Kermit, but you know, in their relationship. But really, Martin, I guess what really is interesting about Bert and Ernie is it's really a demonstration to children about people who are opposites can actually get along. Yeah, uh, I, and, uh, you know, as far as Kermit and and, and uh, Miss Piggy, I do think that she was abusive, absolutely, and I, I've heard some domestic violence claims against her. Um, she might actually be doing time now. I wouldn't doubt it, because she really yeah. was hard on that poor little frog. Um, pig. Yeah. So, um, but Bert and Ernie were, the, the, the storyline is that they're totally opposite, and yet they found a way to get along. And we see so much fracture, particularly in the last year or two, between traditional schools, proprietary schools, like Bert and Ernie. And there's a, um, uh, uh, really, a, it's unfair because rather than focusing on um, how schools are different, um, the systems of education are different, maybe w the two systems can learn from one another and, and just really, you know, get to a place where all boats go up in a rising tide. And I think that's what we're going to focus on a little bit today, right? Absolutely. And it's, now our talk's going to be a half an hour. And um, and then we'll take questions informally at the end. And I think we're going to give away a nice little something at the end for those that are interested. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. 
Okay. Well, let's start. Let's dive in. So, really, the first thing that we're looking at here, Martin, is um, federal regulation. So, uh, what we have up on the screen here is that traditional schools are light in terms of federal regulation, and proprietary schools are heavy in regulation. That really surprises me. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I should also say for our friends in Canada, this is U.S. federal regulation. Um, I think that we have some Canadian schools joining in. I think that this regulation, this row might have been uh, light and medium until about a month ago, two months ago, um, but I think it's pretty um, clear at least at least the proprietary schools feel it's heavy regulation relative to their traditional peers. Well, it's interesting because proprietary schools typically have federal, state, uh, and accreditation body um, uh, regulatory hoops to jump through. Um, and I think it's, a, it's seen as fair in the sense that it's a counterweight against the fact that proprietary schools make a profit. So, okay, you make a profit, you're going to be highly regulated so that it's not uh, a piggish amount of money. And whereas traditional schools, because their mandate is to have, instead of profit, surpluses, um, there seem to be less of a need to regulate their affairs. Absolutely. Okay. So let's go to the next one. I think that I think this is pretty clear. I mean, there may, in my mind, the main difference in their target market is it's adults versus kids, and it's actually when you talk about kids, it's really the kids and their parents. Whereas in the you know the the proprietary world, you're talking more to individuals and not to a whole entire family. So um, just a little administrative note on my computer, it's not showing up here. Really? The, the extra, the next little thing. Let me make so sure maybe you could just live. Oh, just, you know what? I take it back. We are. Is now we should now you seeing it? Not quite yet. But what's the next item? Why don't we? Uh, why don't you just Target read market. that out? Pardon? Target Pardon? market. Target market. Okay. So uh, with the target market, um, traditional and proprietor, what are we saying there? Now you should be seeing it. it should be on air. There we go. There you go. Um, Sorry about that. That's okay. Every, I'm hoping everybody can see that as well. That looks very attractive. So target market, uh, what we have here is with traditional schools. Now, these are broad-based assumptions or, or broad kind of truisms, if you will. Um, we see a lot of recruiting at the high school level, um, middle class to upper, uh, uh, upwardly mobile families, whereas um, we see a fair amount of high school recruiting for proprietary career schools in particular. We also see a lot of people in their 20s, people who are working in jobs they're not happy with that want to retrain, um, veterans, midlife career changers. Uh, and it seems to trend towards the working class because <laughs> the nature of proprietary schools tends to skew heavily towards um, uh, career jobs, whereas you'll see in the traditional schools, you know, degrees in philosophy and and photo art photography and things like that. Yeah, so, I was a poli-sci major, and I don't think that that's a common career school major. Right, exactly. So it's interesting because I think what this points to is that it's really apples and oranges in a way, although there is some overlap. But what are your thoughts, Martin? 
I, I, really, they, they are they are different people. You know, I think I started out the beginning is is by saying that the um, when you're trying to reach a, a high well, I think we'll get to in a minute about length of of the marketing cycle. But when you're trying to get to somebody uh, to go to your school in a traditional world, you're talking to them for several for a long time. You're talking to the parents. You're talking to the kid to a certain extent. Um, and the uh, but in the career side, it's it's one to one. It is someone making a decision uh, for their own life. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So what's next? Let's get the next one. The students' value to the school. What do you mean by that? Right. We like to think that there's the, that the, the students are. Uh, are individuals, but the fact is that there is a value. As a matter of fact, my schools are constantly asking me for to prove my value to them <laughs> with a checkbook. Right. Uh, and uh, um, they all, you know, when I was in school, they and I was a graduate student, they were trying to get me to be free labor um, for the undergraduates. So, no, 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 hold on for a sec. They want you to be free labor. I, I, it, well, they were putting it as an educational opportunity. Of course, it wasn't uh, free labor, it wasn't slavery as they as, as per se. But so you would, when you were in your your graduate program, you they were using you as a teaching assistant. They wanted me to be one. Yes, absolutely. Ah, uh, I see. Interesting. But you you chose not to. I chose not to. I, I you know graduate school. Um, I was at. University of Southern California, which is, I was much more interested in, in playing than I was in uh, helping educate edu- helping educate the younger folks. Okay, I got it. So now, on the proprietary side, the student becomes the product. Now, that to me seems like a real odd statement. Um, but you know, I, I'm going to speak to that um, because proprietary schools are mandated to really place people in the workforce. Uh, they're career schools. They're their um, outcome—it's an outcomes-driven industry. Um, the the student will become a graduate, and then a graduate will will become an, employed in the workforce. And there is a, a notion, if you will, that um, a proprietary school, a program within a proprietary school, is only as strong as the perception held by the hundred largest employers of the graduates. So stated differently, if the employer doesn't know about the school's program or doesn't find it to be of a high quality, um, then the school, by extension, has a weak brand. And so, where you know the four P's of marketing, the product is the is important. It's particularly so in the proprietary or career school sector because those graduates are really the the flag bearer for the school. Now, folks, um, if anybody wants to comment on that or wants to ask a question. You can do so by um, either um, typing a question into Martin or pressing star six and weighing in and asking a question or making a comment. If you uh, if you want to do that, we'd love to hear from you. Okay, Martin, uh, let's keep rolling. Okay, how students pay. This so, one is a major, obviously, this this one is all the rage now. Yeah. So, so basically, this is a a comment on um, stratas of economic classes. Um, people who are in uh, underclass um, in, 
economic environments or working class environments tend to have to lean quite heavily on on student loans. It wasn't so bad back in the day uh, when Sally Mae were were giving loans out and the families, if they had a a beacon score of, you know, um, high five hundreds or or what have you, hey, no problem. Um, But then, of course, with 2008, all those uh, B-class student loans got caught in the, the big mess and and then Sally may and and their friends basically went out of the, the industry so now students have to re- rely very heavily on student loans which is interesting Martin because with the, the federal government level and at the state government level there's really our understanding is there's heavy pressure to start to to cut into education funding which will affect student loans uh, block transfer funding uh, at the traditional school level, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. It, not only I saw that the Pell Grants are majorly in, in risk, and I know that the state level grants are at risk. And as schools have less money in their endowment because they're using it for operations, the traditional schools that is, they're going to have less money to give in scholarships. Um, I know that uh, um, it, it's funny. It's got scholarships. I, I know that we, as you said at the beginning, this is kind of these are generalized um, ideas in these columns. But uh, I think there are, uh, career schools do scholarships, of course. I don't think they do sports scholarships. Have you ever run into a, a proprietary school, uh, Greg, that does sports scholarships? No, no, I haven't as of yet. Yeah, uh, I know uh, folks that are in the private not-for-profit uh, area, faith-based schools and whatnot, tend, can, tend to do that. They have um, robust uh, sports programs, but no, not in the career school section. Yeah, I think it's all need-based. Loan. Need-based scholarships there. So it's interesting because I think what this speaks to is a very important um, change that's happening right now, and um, in and I don't think it's an issue so much with research-based uh, institutions where you know most of the revenue coming into these schools are, are through research activities and publishing patents and what have you, but with the teaching schools such as junior colleges and state colleges, there's some serious issues where. In the past, um, these schools would receive block funding for, to say, make me 100 nurses or what have you, uh, make me 100 BCOMs. And what's happened now is there's a trend, a disturbing trend from a school's perspective where the school, the, the block funding source, say it's a state government, will come and say, okay, did you make me 100 nurses? No, we only made you 80 okay, give me 20% of that block funding back, please. In the past, that didn't happen, and that money would find its way into general revenue, propping up other weaker programs. So there's this trend towards program-based accountability, which is really causing concern for program leaders at the traditional school level with teaching schools because they're saying, hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I have a background as an RN, and as an educator, I didn't sign on to be a salesperson or a marketer. Come on, what gives? And um, so we're of the view that over the next short number of years, these teaching schools um, that are publicly funded will start to migrate more and more to the business um, uh, tactics, the business ways of work of proprietary schools. So those of you on the call that are um, 
traditional come from a traditional background that might make you gag a bit or but we're of the view that's going to happen martin do you care okay. to co- comment on that absolutely you you're you're right because we have about a 95% proprietary school versus traditional school mix mm-hmm. um, but the traditional schools we have are their more competitive uh, uh, programs, you know, the adult continuing ed, online schools, those where, um, I think we'll get to it in a little bit uh, about the cycle, but those where they have a faster cycle and they're competing much more heavily um, than a traditional four-year undergrad. Interesting. Okay, so what's next? Brand development. Interesting. Okay, so there's a school of thought to say, Brand a brand should be reserved for cattle. Um, there's a great book called The Fall of Advertising and the Rise of PR by Al Reese that speaks to brand development. And maybe Martin, you you might want to comment on the the the, the ways in which tr- traditional schools and proprietary schools build their brand. Absolutely. Um, so there's there's the God, I keep answering every question. Absolutely, I apologize, but I'm very enthusiastically agreeing with you. Um, Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely, I agree with you. Um, I think everyone knows uh, certain schools from the news, whether it's it's push news or pull news. Uh, Everybody knows the school of Stanford. I think people knew it even before every tech founder came from there. Um, John John Elway played football there. Um, People know UCLA from sports from other events, from movies, from TV. People know Amherst, and people know the names where presidents come from and where MPs come from. Um, but the, uh, that's a traditional mode. You know, that's, that's, either, that's very rarely paid. Um, that's just out and about in the, in the, uh, ether, in the um, ether. Um, so but traditional schools have a, a real intense, sophisticated public relations machine. Yeah, and they occasionally advertise, um, but it's more li- they're more likely to be advertised for programs that are they need to fill um, and that are a little more, little less known, like their continuing ed programs or their online programs. We also see traditional schools advertising in what's called TOMA, top of mind awareness, where it's less um, pick up the phone kind of advertising and more kind of um, creating a mood where. Schools are essentially buying their frequency um, through TV, large newspapers, what have you. And now it says um, proprietary schools build their brand through employer approval. That to me seems like an odd statement. Well, it's your it's your statement, so why don't you uh, hold on it? Okay, but it I think sense. I will. It, Thank you. It kind of goes along with what you said before, right? The student becomes the product. That's right. Yeah. So it's a real harsh reality. But when you're um, when you're training people to um, build a career, um, it, it all ties into placement. And a group of us have all been saying that the the battleground over the next few years, the most important aspect of career oriented um, post secondary education is placement. Because if you can't place those graduates, well. First of all, for proprietary schools, they lose their license. But in a broader scheme, the, um, it, it just creates a, a really weak brand um, in, in this sector. So, again, you're only as strong as uh, how the perception of your employers that hire your grads. 
which, again, really forces people who are in a career school framework to, to have a fantastic product. Because if the product is not fantastic, they're out of business. They're out of business, and, and first they'll, they'll get the bad name, and then they'll lose their federal funding, at least in the United States. So Just it bad, bad, worse bad. And worse. Yeah, it's all bad. Positioning. Okay. Have you ever been on a repositioning cruise? Sounds painful. 20 cents on the dollar. Yeah, go backwards on a, on a cruise ship. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about <laughs> education. So um, positioning. So um, traditional schools are historically around higher learning, newer thinking, um, generating new ideas and thoughts, which lead to innovation, research development, technology transfer. Um, the, t- the public schools that are teaching universities are in a vulnerable spot because they don't really engage in much of that at all, um, and they're getting attacked by block funding sources. So they're kind of in between the proprietary school model and the research university model. Um, positioning for proprietary schools tend to be skill building for a career. Now, of course, there are private schools that are offering bachelor's degrees and master's programs, but there seems to still be a very strong orientation about building that career. It's true. There's a, you know, you, one of the things that this exercise made me think about was uh, it wasn't that long ago, I want to say about three months ago, that University of Phoenix sponsored an NBC um, symposium, I want to say. It might have mm-hmm. even been telecast. But it was a symposium in Los Angeles and maybe nationwide about uh, the future of education. And it, Phoenix was branded all over it. And Phoenix does, of course, offer non career, more traditional type degrees like bachelors in, in sciences, bachelors in arts. So, well, Phoenix started their whole process in the 70s as a training ground for nurses and firefighters. Mm. So it's interesting. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to our next point here. Sources of lead generation traffic. Okay, so now we're going to dig into some more technical marketing aspects. So Tell me what your thoughts are here. Yeah, I, I, you know, you, you just, we've had children and friends and ourselves go through the recruiting process for traditional schools and to a certain extent for the career schools, and the uh, traditional schools reach out, you know, to high school kids and send it catalogs, go to high school fairs, um, they, and the way they get the catalogs and your information is from the testing services. Um, they expect you to know their name because if you're in Ohio, everyone knows Ohio State. If you're in Los Angeles, everyone knows UCLA. Uh, you know they expect you to know it, uh, and you go after them. So it's really, you know, I guess the and then with with proprietary schools, it's really more um, real heavy heavy leaning on direct response tactics, and and the young people hang out on the internet, and that's where people seem to spend a lot of their effort. And then, of course, television seems to be a secondary but prominent uh, tool. And then what's interesting is far and away the highest converting leads are through referral. And um, and that seems to be developing as em- an emerging tactic in building uh, and enrollment figures. But I guess what comes up for me on this one, Martin, is that um, the traditional schools use multiple prongs, multiple tactics in marketing 
but tend to be more benign or gentle around asking people to take a next step. Whereas with um, proprietary schools, they tend to be more singular in, in their um, lead generation and then tend to be more um, service-oriented or, you know, a negative person would say aggressive in asking people to take the next step, pick up the phone, get your free career starter kit, come in for an interview. Whereas I know my experience in having, for instance, my daughter go to a fairly well-established traditional school, she got bombed with letters, um, websites, here's your password, check this out, um, here's a catalog. Um, but nobody reached out to her at all. It was all. She had to do it all on her own. Dear, dear prospect, we would like to let you know about our school, comma, school name. Yeah, that's right. It's kind yeah. of a boilerplate. Yeah. So, you know, if you were to be um, cynical... You could say that the worst of the proprietary schools are over-aggressive, and the worst of the traditional schools are abusive through benign neglect. And, and then, of course, they're, most of them are really good in both areas. So, Well, one of the things that I was thinking of when we talked about this was something, I, I think I read it in one of the, in Inside Higher Ed, or it, or it was, might have been a, a webinar I attended, but somebody pointed out that the, the inability to expand a school's class or a school's size is a badge of honor at a traditional school. So versus the ability to expand at a, at a proprietary school to meet the, the demand um, is a badge of honor for them. Hmm, so, interesting. Yeah. It's, it, it, you know, so they, if, if Harvard never sends out one catalog and doesn't reply to one piece of mail and they don't make one phone call, they're still going to have a 20% acceptance rate or 30% acceptance rate. Um, and that's not how the proprietary schools operate. That's not, the, that's not their belief. Well, and it's, it's, it, um, they can't work to that economic reality. Now, what's interesting, though, is that the teaching schools, the, public, the traditional schools that are strictly teaching schools where they have a high degree of revenue coming in via enrollment are going to be really um, up against it, where they're going to have to start to hold their nose, if you will. I know, and I say hold their nose because I just we've spoken to so many people in this region, and I don't know if snob is the right word, but there's kind of a looking down upon the private career school folks. And, like, be careful what you wish for, I guess, is really what comes to mind, because the... the traditional schools that do not have a research and development technology transfer piece to their mix are going to be moving in that direction, whether they like it or not. What's next? Absolutely. You know, uh, Greg, um, we're at the time, but I, we have we some questions. Do you, you want to just finish through the slides and then we'll ask the questions at the end? That's a great idea. Yeah, we want to respect okay. people's time. Folks, this is just a half an hour uh, conference call because we don't want to. You all have busy days. What we're going to be doing is um, uh, we've recorded this. We're going to make it available uh, via website and um, uh, a little uh, MP3 file. And we're also going to have speakers notes uh, from here. And then um, we are going to be. We have another 15 of these that we're going to be sharing with you. Um, but we're going to do it at the end of August. So we'll have a follow-up at the end of August. 
Now, the other thing is, Martin, I'd be, um, we're offering a little gift, and, and we have a, um, a review. And uh, this is a best practices review on enrollment management. And usually this is a little $500 assessment. And for the first five people that phone Paul after the meeting or text in, um, you'll receive this for free if you want to, to see how you're comparing to best practice, either in the area of lead generation or lead conversion. And this could be either for traditional schools or proprietary schools. And then after that's completed, then if you wish, you can have a uh, free, no-holds-barred trial of uh, Leads 360 software system, which is very skookum. Um, so I just uh, how we, we put that into play is there are just uh, two numbers. Uh, if you want to, to text, you uh, text in 250-888-7111. 2508887111 and uh we'll just make sure that you we get that for you and uh or if you want to phone Paul it's uh Paul uh Paul's number is 2503919494 2503919494 and again what you receive is a a free best practices review combined with a free no holds barred trial of the Leads 360 system for a nice chunk of time. So that's the pitch. That's all the pitches today, folks. Don't worry. We're okay, let's go, let's go back you. to the slides then and finish up, and we'll do the questions at the end. Yeah, you bet. The nature of media buy. Oh, interesting. Okay. Top-of-mind awareness ads are tend to be the preponderance of traditional schools, whereas direct response is proprietary. Do you want to just comment to the folks what top-of-mind awareness ads are all about? Sure. It's just keep us in mind. Don't go to the program. Don't do any... There's, not, it, 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 if, there's no call to action, right? Okay. So this is the traditional ad agency model where they say you want to just be... People walking down the street, you want to be continually bumping in to the, to, to the offer. And, um, and then one day... When you're ready to go, you, you're, the, the school is at the top of their mind. So um, this is a traditional way that people have, have uh, run advertising. But then with the advent of search engines, uh, became search engine marketing, which essentially the Internet is the largest direct response marketplace ever in the history of man. And, and so, Martin, I guess direct response marketing really is they, they don't in the, that kind of advertising, you don't really care about your image or building your brand. You really, all you care about is getting people to pick up the phone, and then you worry about building your brand and your image in the sales or the admissions process. Would that be fair? Totally. Yeah, so to, to, to summarize, with proprietary schools, they tend to want to build their brand or their influence in the admissions process, whereas with Traditional schools, they tend to want to build their brand uh, or their influence prior to people entering the, the, the process. And not to say either one is good nor bad, but they're definitely different approaches. Interesting, hey? Yep. yep. Okay, so we're on time. Um, oh, let's do class starts per year, and then we'll just see if anybody has any comments or questions. So... 
class starts for a year is usually three per year, with September being the major start. I think that's, and it's probably, wouldn't you say, 90, 95% start in September? I'd say, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. And whereas with proprietary schools, quarterly, weekly, daily, often there's modular um, curriculum, and um, asynchronous online programs, all kinds of innovation around start dates so that people can get going right away with their education. So that's interesting. Yeah. Now, does anybody have any comments or any questions? If you do, you just have to press uh, star six. If you want to come and take over this conference call at the very end here, uh, you just have to press star six. And, and We've got a bunch uh, of questions queued up in the on go to webinar. Okay, well, let's start with those, okay? And okay. then if anybody wants to chime in, they can just press star six. Now, folks, it is a half an hour, so for those that have a tight time, time deadline, you just have to, you can take off, and um, we'll get you some speaker notes or get you the free offer at a later point. But let's hang now for some informal questions, some Q&A, okay? Sure. Uh, the question came in saying, Tiny asked the question saying, you're predicting that state and federal funding will go down. Does this lead you to believe that debt loads for not-for-profit schools will go up? That's a good question. A uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, I think it's inevitable, um, especially um, you know as for-profit. I'm sorry, traditional schools, um, non-for-profit schools are going to are getting less and less funding. Uh, you know, there's no there's no um, there's no choice but to raise the rev raise the prices. I mean, I talked to friends of ours who are now sophomores at a, a big UC school, and they're California residents. It should be affordable. And it is, they're paying a ridiculous amount of money to go to a state school as a California resident. Right. So basically what happens is with um, basic economics, microeconomics, uh, if the funding contracts, like most people don't really realize that, well, you, say a junior college is offering a, a one-year program and a career school is offering a one-year program, um, uh, the, um, the, the tuition with a proprietary school is generally double. And so what happens is the, the traditional school, the junior college, it's being supplemented by the taxpayer. And now what's happening with uh, all the stuff in the news at the federal level, uh, I mean that committee of 12 now are looking for $1.5 trillion in reductions, and it's got to go deeper. That's what, some, that what most people don't realize. It has to move beyond a trillion dollars because this is just to, to chew out the money out of the debt. Now, the... the the annual deficit at the federal government level is almost a trillion dollars. It's 900-odd billion dollars. They've got to move that. There's a, a lot of political pressure to move to a balanced budget. Where is that trillion dollars going to come from every year? Now, stack in state funding, which is a huge source of funding for um, post-secondary schools at the state level. Those people are, if you look at the... Um, the money's owed or the deficit and debt as a percentage of the state economies, like California and what have you, a lot of these states you would actually say are bankrupt. Um, you get states such as Texas that run a balanced budget program. Last spring, they had four community colleges on notice that they were going to be shut down well, because it's funny. Yeah. they could not um, achieve a balanced budget. And it's funny you should mention Texas. Um, I just was reading the paper this morning that the reason Texas had a balanced budget the last two years was because of the federal stimulus money that came in to 
balanced their budget two years in a row. So if they hadn't, those schools would have disappeared already, and who knows what the, what the uh, tuition at University of Texas and all the community schools would be at. So we think that what will happen is with the, the combination of the federal uh, tra- transfer payments uh, reducing combined with the state deficits and debt, um, that there will be uh, that that post-secondary education will be one of the target areas for reduction. Now, that'll happen in two areas. It'll happen in block tra- transfer funding, and it'll happen in uh, tightening up um, student loan requirements. And either way, it's not good. So no. the way you battle that is by really getting really laser-like around your product. A relevant product, a high-quality product, will always succeed in the market. And I think what's happened, a lot of schools have gotten flabby because they've been propped up. No question about it. Okay, Um, next question. A question from Anna. Uh, Can you please suggest some ways to build relationships with employers to promote school brand? Sure. Can I weigh in on that one, Martin? Please, you start. Okay. So here's the way you do this. So the question is, how do we go and and, uh, build relationships with employers? Now, the key is to do it efficiently. So here's how you do it. You go into LinkedIn, and you find uh, discussion forums or groups that line up with your offering. You join the groups. And then what you do is uh, you go to the owner of the group and you offer to run the job board. Every group has a job board in LinkedIn. And you take it over. Um, If you're in San Francisco, go to the San Francisco Chamber of Commerce uh, or Board of Trade uh, LinkedIn group. There will be several thousand employers in that group. And and then you go and say, I'd like to go and manage your job board. And... And so basically what you're offering is a free job board within these LinkedIn groups, and it's an extremely effective way to um, put more trout in the trout pond, so to speak, to get your school in front of hundreds and hundreds of employers that otherwise wouldn't know that you existed by simply taking leadership in LinkedIn groups. Uh, Martin, you care to add in there? That was a great suggestion. Uh, The only one uh, that our ever suggest to me is they usually use the old shoe leather going to the neighbor, neighboring um, you know if they do uh, allied health type education they'll go to all the neighboring um, doctor's offices to make sure that they that the offices are aware of their the skills and their that they're providing their their students excellent that's another good idea okay any more questions um, there do you another question for tiny do you see some other form of validation coming for higher ed other than hiring career statistics, particularly in the for-profit space? So um, I'm not sure what that question means. Uh, Tiny could jump well, on. Well, the and... question—I think what happened was we talked about um, brand development and value to school comes from the from the student being successful. Yes. And so the question is, do you see other forms of validation coming um, other than hiring and career statistics? This is Tiny. Uh, you guys said that uh, the student becomes the product, i.e., it is the validation of the school's brand and its ability to exist. Uh, do you see in the future um, either that becoming the traditional schools, uh, um, the traditional schools brand, so to speak, or, or reputation, or do you see some other form of validation coming into play? 
That's a you know that's a great question. Um, I'll take a crack at that. Uh, I think it's tied uh, the programming uh, from where I sit. This is a personal view. It comes in at three levels. There's a, a hardcore um, career orientation. I'm going to train to be a phlebotomist. Uh, I'm going to train to be a, an IT programmer. Then there are what I would call a, a career orientation where you go to get a BCom or an associate degree in marketing or a, uh, you go to become, uh, you get a law degree where it's it's thinking oriented. It is, um, there's a lot of uh, historical new thinking, but it really is on, on a broad career path. And then there, are, of course, are the degrees such as English philosophy, anthropology, geography, which are really um, high-quality high learning experiences, um, but really there's not a, a direct... Uh, Martin, you, you kind of went through that stream, didn't you? you? You had a degree in, what was that, abstract physics? or <laughs> I wish it was abstract physics. That would be much more employable. You know, when you graduate from traditional school, the promise is that we taught this guy to think. But occasionally, of course, you get a degree that's, that teaches you something like an accounting degree. But you also have to take your Russian literature or your, or your you know, French uh, uh, revolutionary history class that doesn't have a huge amount of practical impact on the career world other than the fact that you can write essays, do research, and, and talk. Um, so the, value, the school's value can be, can be measured in Nobel Prizes maybe um, or in um, people who have become consultants because they can write and think versus the income and the hireability of their employees. I was not, you know, graduating with a poli sci degree. I mean, what, do I, what did I know coming out of college? Well, what they say the difference between a poli sci degree and a large pizza is a large pizza will feed a family of four. <laughs> so, but back to Tiny's question, you know. I'm kind of skirting around the edges of it because, you know, I think I don't know. I mean, it's a really a no-brainer where you train somebody to become an IT person, they perform well, it reflects well in the school. You teach somebody at um, uh, a state college to think well and to come out with a BCom, the correlation is mushy. And, you know, I don't have a smart answer for you there, Tony. It, it, from my perspective, uh, I, I do think, though, that... Um, with the constraints that are going to be foisted upon uh, particularly the traditional teaching schools, uh, that it's hmm, absolutely crucial that these schools are cutting edge and the product is absolutely uh, at the front, uh, the bleeding edge, and there, there has if any uh, deans or department heads have been slack in staying on top of um, curriculum or, or trends in education or learning, they're going to get squeezed out. 